welcome to the Litigation Finance Podcast. I'm your host, John Freund. This podcast is brought to you by the Litigation Finance Journal, the only dedicated news source to the litigation finance industry. Please visit www.litigationfinancejournal.com. Our guest today is Chris Garvey, member of the Board of Investments at Stonework. Chris has helped claimants and advisors raise capital to pursue litigation-related assets and strategies globally at all ends of the value spectrum. Chris is the founder of Sachenga & Co., an advisory and brokerage firm in the field of litigation finance based in London that collaborates with Stoneward in the domestic Spanish market and with Four Rivers and other international markets. Chris previously served as executive director, head of merchant banking and real estate investing legal at Morgan Stanley in Asia. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, appreciate you uh, having me on. Yeah, it's really great to speak with you. We get to talk about the Spanish market a bit, which is exciting. We we uh, don't cover uh, we don't cover enough of what's going on in continental Europe, so this will be exciting for us. So why don't we start there? Uh, what is the size and the impact of the litigation funding market in Spain? How many funders are operating there? To what degree is litigation funding a part of the Spanish legal system? Um, and what types of cases would you say get funded in Spain? Um, a lot to unpack there, John. Uh, thank you. The I think I'd start by just saying that the the size of the overall market in Spain is still small in relative terms, but third-party funding has definitely established a toehold in the market, um, particularly around cartel cases uh, in trucks, uh, milk, and recently cars, and is poised for growth with the introduction of uh, the representative action directive uh, from Europe. Um, in terms of the funders in operating in the market here, there's a handful of domestic players, both pure play uh, funders, uh, as well as multi-strat uh, credit fund, family office uh, type investors who have exposure to uh, the sector, um, and uh, there's also a handful and a growing number of foreign uh, funders, uh, European, UK, and uh, US, uh, that are active, that either have investments in this market, they're looking to invest in this market, or that have boots on the ground already. Um, some form of uh, presence in the Spanish market, such as Omni Bridgeway and, and Demonor and, and previously Ethereum. Um, but it's we see uh, increasing uh, interest and enthusiasm for the Spanish market um, across the board, really. Um, now, to what degree is litigation funding a part of the Spanish uh, legal system. Well, I mean, I think the, the the first point to make there is that litigation funding is currently unregulated in Spain. In Spain, um, there is no mention of litigation finance in the Spanish civil code. This is common with other European jurisdictions, and there aren't any laws specifically dealing with uh, litigation finance that either regulate or prohibit uh, the practice. So as such, it is permitted. However, uh, it will um, and it has received recognition uh, through the 
transposition and implementation of the EU representative action directive, which is has already come into force. The final text of that uh, Spanish version hasn't yet been published, but the earlier versions uh, give us a good indication of what that's going to look like, and certainly there is clear recognition in that of, of litigation finance. Um, in terms of the types of cases that get funded in Spain, uh, I, I would I would point out that there is a very healthy uh, and active, vibrant, uh, no-win, no-fee industry uh, within the legal community in Spain. There's plenty of lawyers, uh, large, some larger, some smaller, that offer no-win, no-fee arrangements. And so third-party financing uh, has typically uh, gained traction in those areas where uh, you have additional expenses beyond just uh, legal fees involved. And that typically uh, is it, when you're looking at uh, quantum experts, uh, scientific uh, reports, and other such uh, external costs and disbursements that are expensive that lend themselves uh, to to litigation finance. Primarily, we're seeing that again in the competition space, uh, where you have uh, the need for expensive, uh, high-value uh, expert analysis to uh, validate the damages um, and to establish um, causation. Um, the other area I think that, uh, again, Spain isn't any different to any other country that is amenable to litigation uh, finance is insolvency. Um, and of course, we have seen uh, one of the more prominent cases uh, across the industry come out of Spain, which was the Peterson uh, cases against Argentina, which uh, effectively launched uh, Burford to some degree, um, and which was originated by Armando Betancourt, uh, interestingly enough, who is the president of the Board of Investments of Stonewood. Okay, very nice. Um, and so then digging in a little bit more about uh, litigation funding in Spain, can you speak to the specific challenges, the specific opportunities that funders face there? Um, yeah, sure. It's a good question. Um, you know, the... <laughs> I think one of the primary challenges that the Spanish market presents is that the cost, the relative cost of lawyers is significantly lower in Spain than it is in other jurisdictions and certainly uh, the US, the UK and other common law jurisdictions. Um, what that means is that uh, many companies, corporates in particular, large corporates, but even SMEs and, and uh, some retail consumers are able to self-fund cases. And so that somewhat depresses, if you like, the demand uh, for uh, financing. Um, another component to the Spanish market that is uh, relatively unique is that courts in Spain have historically been fairly reluctant to recognize indirect damages. 
by which I mean damages uh, representing things like lost profits, uh, expectation losses, reputational uh, harm, uh, moral harm. Uh, and so cases that uh, are based on those heads of loss are less attractive in this market because the prospect for recovery is is lower. Um, historically as well, in the Spanish market, there hasn't been, up until now, a collective action regime that functioned um, in the same way as we would be accustomed to seeing it operate in, say, the U.S., um, which has meant that bringing collective claims has been much more time-consuming and inefficient than it would be in other markets that do have uh, that feature available. However, on the flip side, the opportunity set is expanding because, uh, as uh, as you know, the EU uh, Representative Action Directive uh, is now in force. Uh, that will dramatically change the landscape in Spain. Uh, it's going to bring in, for the first time, an opt-out regime. Uh, the details still need to be worked out, um, but it's going to significantly give a boost uh, to to the funding of collective claims and the efficiency that can be drawn and uh, gained in in bringing those claims. Um, I think the other thing to note in Spain that represents an opportunity is that, and this isn't necessarily unique to Spain, but the uh, enforcement agencies uh, and public defenders, legal aid budgets are in common with other jurisdictions, overstretched, under-resourced. Um, and so the effect of that is that whilst the laws on the books are typically uh, fairly uh, comprehensive, the enforcement doesn't keep, uh, doesn't match uh, the laws. And there is a high level in Spain of, uh, a high level of corporate malfeasance, uh, which I think provides fertile ground um, in the future based on the European uh, Representative Action uh, uh, Directive to take advantage of that to hold companies uh, to account. Um, so I think that represents a significant opportunity going forward that we're looking forward to. And so then what types of claims does Stonewood Fund uh, the Stonewood Fund, and and also when when you uh, look at underwriting claims, what specifically do you look for? In terms of the claims that Stonewood funds, I mean, in in terms of geography and the geographic focus, our target markets are primarily the Iberian Peninsula um, at this point, so Spain and Portugal, but we see significant interest um, in Latin America too, notably Mexico. Um, and I don't discount that we would uh, extend our focus in that direction at the appropriate time. Um, in terms of claim types, uh, really it runs the full gamut. Uh, I think we would, uh, we're sector agnostic and we would consider um, any bona fide legal claim uh, that is susceptible and amenable to, to financing. Um, that said, we obviously 
look to leverage our in-house expertise and uh, in two particular areas, uh, one of which is insolvency. As I mentioned, Armando Betancourt, who is the president of the board of investments at Stormwood, is uh, a highly respected insolvency practitioner in Spain. And he was uh, responsible for originating uh, the Peterson uh, financing. He was appointed as the administrator for the Peterson companies um, and obtained financing from Burford uh, to pursue those claims against the Republic of Argentina at a time, I should say, when litigation uh, finance was uh, more nascent and scarce than it was today. And so, of course, all credit to uh, to, to Chris Bogart and John Walson at, at, uh, at, at Burford. Burford for uh, for seeing the bunny, but but uh, definitely I think Armando deserves a lot of credit um, too for for bringing that to them. And uh, you know I think he's he has a legitimate claim to be uh, considered a pioneer in in the industry. Um, the other area where I think we have core expertise is in uh, competition. Uh, we have. Uh, in-house on the board of investments uh, at Stormward is Black Gonzalez, who is uh, an ex-judge, uh, was I think a judge for 17 years in Spain, um, a highly respected figure in the local community, uh, in the legal community, and uh, and an expert in competition law. And so, I think Stormward uh, hopes to position itself as certainly one of the premier funders of choice um, for claims both in the insolvency and competition space. Um, in terms of what we look for from an underwriting perspective, I mean, I think uh, we look at, I think all pretty much all the same things that, that other funders do, uh, the merits of claims, uh, the cost to, to, to bring it to conclusion, uh, returns, uh, recoverability, Duration, uh, execution capability, and uh, an alignment of interest. Uh, I think the one, you know, the one differentiating uh, factor that we have relative to other funders in this market is, as I mentioned, we have Blas Gonzalez, who, as an ex-judge, has you know a, a, a particular um, and uh, highly valuable. Um, uh, insights into how Spanish courts and Spanish judges uh, consider and deal with certain matters, which I think allows us to take, um, you know, a, a, a more nuanced view of certain claims, which I think would be more difficult to understand for funders, um, particularly foreign funders, international funders uh, coming into Spain that don't have that experience. Okay, and let's so let's switch over to the regulatory regime for just a moment. Um, the, you know, the Voss report includes the introduction of a fee cap for funders and a controversial forced disclosure provision for claimants. So, what impact would legislating the recommendations of the Voss report have on European SMEs uh, in achieving access to justice? Listen, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, if 
if the recommendations in the VOSH report are implemented in their current form, it will uh, directly affect the supply and demand dynamics, and it will uh, quite simply reduce the supply of capital for certain higher risk deals. You know, what that means is that in some cases just simply won't get funded, uh, and not because they're bad cases, um, but because, uh, for instance, A, they could have, they could rely on uh, complex and controversial expert evidence, um, or because causation itself uh, may be unclear. Um, I mean, if you think the tobacco litigation, um, you know, other kinds of product liability uh, kinds of cases where, uh, you know, the establishing uh, the establishing causation is is complex and relies on um, you know scientific evidence, uh, which is highly specific and and often contested, um, and therefore presents a higher risk um, and. To the extent that there is an artificial limit imposed on the returns that funders can obtain in those higher risk cases, the likelihood is those cases just won't be funded. The same is true of cases, for instance, where the law itself is unclear and the purpose of the litigation would be to set precedent um, and to, to break new ground. Um, those kinds of cases, which are by definition speculative, but in which the claimants may well have uh, very legitimate claims and have suffered uh, harm for which they deserve their day in court, um, they may not get it. So net-net, I think the, the overall effect will be to reduce uh, the access to justice particularly for consumers, but also for, for SMEs, um, unfortunately. And so then, given that, what can litigation funders do to combat the implementation of the Voss Report's recommendations? What should they be doing? Uh, another very good question, John. I mean, I think it's complex. I, I, I think my, my initial reaction to this is that, you know, picking up on uh, the language in your question, I mean, I think this needs to be sort of non-combative, um, because I think, you know, regulation is coming and it's inevitable. Um, unfortunately, that's something we live with in Europe. Um, consumer protection is, is very high on the legislative agenda. And I think um, trying to stem the tide here is, is counterproductive and, and, and probably uh, not a fruitful effort. What I think funders are uh, best advised to do is to engage directly with Axel Voss um, and other legislators that are bringing this forward um, to educate and uh, and to lobby um, in a you know in a in a non-confrontational way to ensure that the legislation you know doesn't end up killing what is still a very nascent industry by skewing artificially skewing the supply and demand dynamic. Okay, so uh, final question here, zooming out a bit. Um, how do you see the litigation funding industry evolving over the next few years? What are the trends that we should be on the lookout for? Um, yeah, 
another good question. I mean, listen, I think we just we we touched on it uh, a little bit here already. The the um, with the Voss report coming, the introduction of the uh, representative action directive, and more recently, uh, as we've seen in the UK, the Supreme Court decision in the Packard case. Um, I think it's clear, which will probably force the UK government to do something, is my guess. Um, but I think what we're seeing is that regulation is 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 on its way and it's coming. Um, what that means, I think, is that it will play into the hands of the larger funders and the larger um, the larger institutional backed uh, investors because they naturally are better placed uh, to navigate the regulatory hurdles and minimum capital requirements that these um, that these proposals are going to impose um, I think you know the other uh, one of the other trends that we'll see uh, I'm hoping um, certainly uh, that that's the expectation is that we'll see a growing comfort, sophistication, um, and expertise within the sort of the court system um, across Europe and Spain in particular when, as they roll out and implement the representative action directive, um, as has been done for, for decades in, in, in the U.S., um, and we're still far behind here. I mean, Europe will never match what the U.S. has because there's no punitive damages regime. Um, but certainly, I think uh, this is going to provide a significant boost to the industry, and hopefully the efficiencies that will come with this um, will be a benefit to, particularly to European consumers. Um, and I think to the extent that we have some notable and well-publicized successes in the cases that are currently going through the courts, notably the truck cartels, uh, the diesel emissions cases, um, and uh, and more recently in Spain, the milk cartel and the, and the car cartel. Um, hopefully, these will provide um, a you know a a helpful uh, catalyst for consumers to adopt. Um, and uh, you know, increasingly embrace litigation finance. And I think the last thing really is that I, you know, I'm, I would expect that the uh, the industry and the the asset class to mature and institutionalize um, to the extent that a secondary market develops, um, which would help handicap one of the biggest uh, difficulties in litigation finance, which is the duration of of investments. Um, I know you. Um, I think he spoke to, to Adam Gertrin uh, not so long ago, but but obviously, I think everyone has eyes on on not just Adam, but 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 others who are raising secondary pools of capital, which uh, and and we wish them the very best because I think it will be to everyone's benefit to the extent that they are successful. I think the industry itself will see a development to the next level. Yeah, definitely. The secondary market is definitely one of the more exciting developments. Uh, it's been a long time coming. And um, 
Chris, uh, this is really interesting stuff, and thank you so much for diving into the Spanish market with us and and Stonward, and um, really what some of the the challenges and the opportunities that are there for for funders in this space. We really, really appreciate diving into the continental European market, which we don't do enough of. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts with us today. Listen, thank you, John. Really appreciate you uh, providing us and Stonward the platform. So um, listen, look forward to. Uh, speaking again thank you absolutely and if you'd like to learn more about chris and stoneward you can visit them at their website www.stoneward.com that's s-t-o-n-w-a-r-d.com and that's it for this episode we will see you on the next episode of the litigation finance podcast